you're listening to The Seventh Reel. This week, Labyrinth, directed by Jim Hansen in 1986. So, whose pick was this? It was mine. It's yours, Yusuf, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. It was a, mu- a musical fantasy film with George Lucas as an executive producer. What? Oh. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, well, didn't you see the... The, the puppetry, the puppets and everything. The, his <laughs> no, name, that's already Jim Hansen. Uh, yeah, right? yeah, so the puppets were I, produced uh-huh. by Jim Hansen's creature shop and mm-hmm. Terry Jones of Monty Python wrote the first draft of the film early in la- 1984 oh, and stars David Bowie does the soundtrack so the film mm-hmm. like gained a large cult following probably because it's like so insane but <laughs> it's wild but uh, so the things i've noticed about this movie that are aligned with two other movies we watched about which are well i guess stand by me isn't really a kid's movie but it is kind of chronicling mm-hmm. kids they're both about very literally about a journey or, or all three yes. are, are literally a to b journeys very explicit then this and the goonies very much like an excuse to play with special effects i feel yes. <laughs> like the, if ever a movie had like a flimsier uh, like premise or whatever this was just kind of like oh i guess uh she hates her brother and uh we're off let's go well, it got going very quickly yeah. like she was she's in the labyrinth by the 15 minute mark yeah <laughs> it's odd it's fun to see a movie that just like gets to us so yeah but then it like <laughs> much meanders, like and, uh, mm. and goes down literal alleys <laughs> and yes and tangents and weird uh, asides for like a long for almost the entire run so uh what did you guys think of it i mean i picked it and i I, I liked it <laughs> i i i would I, you don't need to apologize i quite enjoyed it um the special effects mostly i'm just there for these i love the look of it and i love the puppets michelle what did you think i liked it i just think i wish you liked I it i watched it as a kid i think i would have appreciated oh, yeah. it yes like not when it came yes. out but like 1986 if, if I, I was you alive were, then you yeah alive then um, yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but because it, it's like, like I have, I won't rewatch Gremlins or The Neverending Story because I'm scared they won't be very good. Which is kind of how I feel that I think feel about this one. Mm. I found myself thinking the same thing. If I was a kid and had seen this, I would be so into it. I feel. Mm. But the mm. the thing that confuses me, and and I'm very like curious as to why why someone would do this. Why have David Bowie do a soundtrack and start David Bowie. David Bowie is not necessarily what a kid would want to watch or know or care about his music. So why was he in this? Maybe Jim Hansen just really wanted to work with David or Bowie. David Bowie just really wanted to be oh, in a film yeah. and they were friends. Or, with Jim Hansen, with yeah, he wants to play with the, the puppets. Yeah, but like a movie like The Man Who Fell to Earth or something. That makes sense for right. David Bowie and his yes. more like, you know, loyal and patient fans rather than just like the mass audience that would listen to you know whatever hit he had at the time so why would you do like this doesn't i don't feel like anyone according to henson himself Mm -hmm. like he wanted a musician he wanted to be a charismatic star Mm -hmm. he considered sting prince mcjagger my god imagine if mcjagger did this even worse that would suck that would make this movie genuinely just suck and michael jackson he considered michael jackson and oh. in his own words, I wanted to put two characters of flesh and bone in the middle of all these artificial creatures. 
and David Bowie embodies a certain maturity with his sexuality, his oh, disturbing aspect, I mean. all sorts of things that characterize the adult world. Yeah, he's the juxtaposition, right? Because mm. I, I think metaphorically, this, this is very much about adolescence or yeah, becoming, then, be, becoming an adult. Mm-hmm. But then and, how mm-hmm. the journey itself is punctuated by all these like really silly, you know. Yes, it co- it's a very sharp contrast. Y- yeah. So, so because the way he's looking at her in a masquerade ball, that felt like a different type of movie. Oh my god, that was kind of my favorite part, though. Yes, it was my favorite part, it was also my favorite part, and the best song, (laughs) I think, in the movie. I think that was the best. Uh huh. I love the baby song. (laughs) Him dancing with the baby was very, very funny. I love it, it's very cute. Yeah, and it had blonde hair. Not yeah. hair. <laughs> well, it's it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. I mean, Yusuf, did you notice how David Bowie's line delivery? It sounds a lot like uh, Matt Berry's line delivery. Oh yeah. Uh, dark. <laughs> did you realize yeah. that in Dark Place? Yeah. Oh it sounds God. exactly the same. It made me think that, that Matt right? Berry was just channeling. <laughs> it's exactly. Um, for uh, for those who are uninitiated, please watch Dark Place. It's amazing. Oh man, you just. Yeah, I want to rewatch that. That's so, that's so <laughs> good. Anyway. What did you think about the? Yes, again about the back to the contrast of like having David Bowie be this very adult element within a whimsical throughout the mm-hmm. entire thing. Most, most of the way until it got to the masquerade ball scene and mm-hmm. what happened afterwards actually that was probably my favorite part of the movie is the masquerade and then her returning to her own bedroom mm. and the old like uh, the old goblin coming in and showing her all her old childhood toys I thought oh, that was really yeah. really cool that felt more restored like that is when like the fairy tale allegory stuff starts kicking in I thought mm-hmm. that was really interesting not a big fan of most of the numbers I'm kind of with you there I, I don't, I don't think the music like... ages this movie movie the most yeah the visuals really hold up mm-hmm. especially the puppetry yeah but uh the and the music it's kind of insane how yeah. how well it holds up uh, aside from that owl in the beginning <laughs> yes that was terrible <laughs> the rest <laughs> of it that looked worse <laughs> that looked like playstation yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's such a good one i was like wow they were really proud of this yeah. that they, they had this flying around for like two minutes yeah but the but the puppetry <laughs> and the rest of the special effects like the hands you know the hands yes the, the hands were so cool the hands were one yeah. of the coolest that that was really really cool and really almost macabre that mm-hmm. felt really like scary that would have really scared me as a child Guillermo del Toro definitely watched this movie and took some inspiration for from Hellboy it for, <laughs> yes for Hellboy and for I think uh, Pan's Labyrinth oh, with like the hands right, and right. I wonder how like apparently the baby in the movie has to be named Toby because the baby's name is Toby yeah I saw that and he wouldn't re- he wouldn't respond to anything else they would even why is that even like a thing why would they need to the, the baby to respond I didn't feel like there was a because they had a, I guess there's moments where she's calling him so, so the owl title sequence uh, was the first attempt at a photorealistic CGI animal character in a feature film oh I, that makes sense. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. I, I, when I guess when you when you watch this in the theaters in '86, that would look pretty cool. Mm, you'd be like, "Whoa!" So like, why not just have a real an, owl an fly owl around? I just, I don't understand why they just won't have a real owl fly around. It's so cool. Well, how would you control the owl? You just have an owl. Well, to I w- fly on a spot outside a window. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, I'll just uh, I will put it in like a a, a green screen or blue screen room. I'm not sure what they used back in the day, and just have it fly around. And then just key out the background. 
and then juxtapose that image of the owl flying around over the title sequences, I guess. Well, also, over 100 pairs of latex hands were made for the helping hand scene. It's a lot of hands. That, those two look like a lot of hands. I wonder what how he came up with that. That's it's, it's, It looks so cool. The, I wonder how much of the George Lucas influence like carries into this, because when I think about Star Wars, I also think about the puppets. You know, At least with the original trilogy, it's, there's a lot of puppets in that as well. Oh, really? Yeah, like Yoda is a puppet. Yeah, Yoda is. Was Yoda done by Jim Henson? No, who's I, who's Frank Oz? Isn't that Oz? Guy? It's Frank Oz. Yeah. Yeah, he no Frank Oz also did the Muppets. He did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, so. Oh, they 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 both work together. <laughs> I guess yeah. they they all work together. Yeah. Okay, so it's funny how we think this movie is like this movie is wild and off the rails. I think the audience back in back when it released in '86 thought the same thing this mm-hmm. movie was not very financially successful mm-hmm. it uh, I think drove Jim Henson away from making a feature film project for some time mm-hmm. and apparently people tore Jennifer Colony's performance to shreds which mm-hmm. I don't blame her like you gotta you're the only like you're acting like opposite of <laughs> David Bowie mm-hmm. and a bunch of puppets like what can, you're a child you I don't think how old was she when she did it I think she was 14 I mean that's like kind of mean to tell a mm-hmm. child acting she's so yeah lonely. apparently they went through a bunch of known actresses including Laura Dern, apparently wanted a good go of Helen Bohan Carter, but they wanted someone American. Would have been better if it was English. Yeah, why, why American? That's weird. <laughs> yeah, why why American and have all the rest of the characters? Because the Monty Python screenwriter really makes sense now you consider all the other characters. And how and how you mentioned that it kind of well, yeah, all the other into characters just like these individual. In the Labyrinth are British. Yeah, like they all sound like Monty Python characters. I like the warm. That was really cute. There's, like, mul- there's multiple little characters in here that just like are, that, that's very great. influenced by Alice in Wonderland, Blue mm-hmm. Cat Villa, yes. and the clocks and the clock people. Yeah. I thought that was that They're felt very down. inspired as well. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the overall? Like, I'm trying to th- parse together what the what they're trying to say about growing up because she only she wins the day by I think confirming to herself that she holds power that she like she's in control. Mm-hmm. I love that you ask questions um, and then answer them yourself and not let anyone else speak. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead, Michelle. I'm sorry. I just think she was a spoiled brat at the start. She's not a spoiled brat at the end. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, how 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 much attention do you need to steal away from a baby? She's like 14. <laughs> I know. She's like 14. Like it's like, come on. Like, you like sh- the yeah, a child, a baby is. Uh, and she and and I hate and like she got mad at her stepmother because she was an hour late holding up her parents. From going out on like a dinner date. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> get that. Got, I love she had it to when go. Yeah, isn't that <laughs> what normal? Well, I mean, she was really into like make believe and playing and like larping or mm-hmm. whatever. So maybe <laughs> larping. Right? Isn't LARPing. that what she was doing in the beginning? Um. Yes. And yes. So, I believe so. So I I think I mean she's not a normal teen. <laughs> <laughs> Did you also notice the cat's poster yeah, in her bedroom? Yeah. Is it, I thought that was really funny. But out of out of the the three movies we watched about youthful journeys, I don't know what to call this genre. I don't think this is the be- the best one. I I for some reason I don't know why. Maybe I'm just 
insane, but I think the Goonies is the best out of all three of these movies. Really? If I were to rewatch, or, you or you did not like it a lot. You did not like yeah, it the last but time we watched. I thought it was I thought it was bad, but it's interesting bad. Stand by this, me is good though. I think it's really good. Stand by me. Oh yeah, but Stand by me is like good, like in the same way that like Shawshank Redemption is good. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a good movie. It's not, like, <laughs> interesting. But this was interesting bad. Like, this was... I, I wouldn't rewatch this again. I would rewatch... <laughs> I would rewatch The Goonies just out of sheer, like, how how is this even a thing? Like, I don't know. But I don't know if that's the metric you should judge things by. If it's, like, objectively what was the best movie out of all three, I would say Stand By Me, probably. Like, rewatch Potential. I would say the Goonies. This had too much musical numbers for me, I think. Yeah, there aren't even that many. <laughs> yeah, they too much. shouldn't have had any. Still too much. Like, yeah. they shouldn't, I, yes, ruined, I, they shouldn't have had any. It would have ruined it for me as a kid, the music. Yeah, really? It's also, yeah, it's not like music a kid will like find catchy. Yeah. Because it's David Bowie music. Yeah, that's what And it's so David weird. Bowie singing. It's like, it's, and it's very David Bowie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not something a kid's not, you're not going to expect a kid to like walk out of the theater whistling the tune or having it stuck in their head. Oh, uh, what was that voodoo you do thing? Voodoo, yeah. Oh, that was catchy. I thought the ending was insane. Like, they all appeared in her bedroom <laughs> and they all started dancing. Yeah. That, that made me, I thought I was losing yeah. my mind. Yeah, that was like, so I funny. was like, wait, wait, what's the lesson? <laughs> like, was... That was so funny. Well, she gives away Lance a lot, and then that's supposed to be a signal of her outgrowing this kind of world. But then it all just kind of goes back to... Yeah, it just kind of goes back to it. It's like, oh, what did she learn? I guess nothing, okay. (laughs) It felt like... Guess someone tried to, like, pawn off my baby brother again. It was like the end of SNL or something. They were all just (laughs) hugging in the music. (laughs) They were hugging... Yeah. That was very weird. There's uh, There's a lot about this that's good... And there's a lot about it that's mm-hmm. bad, but it's kind of boring. It's fascinatingly bad, right? It's well, yeah, that's what I'm arguing, it's, that it's kind of not in a way. I mean, I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. it's just me. It is fascinating in parts, but like the puppetry and the special effects are really cool. I would watch it again yes. for that only, but it is just a boring movie full of songs. Yes. So that's all I have to say also, about it. There, there is a um, several critics noted the film stubs text about how it's about a voyage to womanhood, including the hint of sexual awakening, which Sarah experiences too in the presence of the Goblin King. So I guess this is what you were arguing or what you were saying, Arvin, but in a like a more this is like a more oh uh, they've been more explicit yeah, about it. Yeah. Like it's not just her growing out of this childhood, mm-hmm. you know, childish spoiled phase. Mm-hmm. It's also her being attracted to the Goblin King. So maybe the bulge mm-hmm. was a that explicit <laughs> choice. Yes. Oh darn! I had a I had a joke. I was just I thinking of doing. Uh, I was gonna call like the final confrontation the Battle of the Bulge, but um, <laughs> darn it. <laughs> and you're, I think they're right in mm-hmm. terms of it is, but it's, I think it's sexuality tinged with the dangers of adulthood. Because mm-hmm. at the same time, they don't portray him purely as like a, a, as very desirable and attractive. He's a bit off-putting 
and a bit malicious at, time, at times in terms of just the way he, like, he carries himself and the way he's portrayed. Yeah, it's the dangers of adulthood. Why isn't not just, he like, a goblin, though? Why is I don't get it. He already kind of they kind of made him try to look no, like a goblin with the hair and the... Okay. He was like so the height of different. four goblins on top of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he was kicking goblins like up in the air at one point. It was amazing. Also, David Bowie was hamming it up so much. Like, it's, mm. it's so great. What other movies have has he been in other than The Man Who Fell to Earth? Um, he was in The Prestige. <laughs> Chris Nolan's The Prestige. Yeah, he was uh, Tesla. As Nikola Tesla. He was pretty good as Nikola Tesla, the two minutes he's in the movie. Mm -hmm. he goes in the Not really, Matt. Um, should we take a break? Has anyone got anything else to say? Yeah, let's take a break. Let's take a break. We're back! Now, on to my personal favorite segment, Who Framed Roger Ebert? Take it away, Yusuf! So, two stars. Labyrinth gets two oh, wow. stars from Roger Ebert. He says that this is a movie that's made with infinite care and pains, and it, begin, it began with a real inspiration. Why not create a fantasy out of some of the drawings of M.C. Escher, who is famous for visual paradoxes such as a room with staircases that go up in every possible direction? He, he adds a question mark. I don't know why. The movie is an impressive production that is often good to look at. Some real thought went in, into it, and then and the David Bowie soundtrack is fine yet there's something missing it never really comes alive he obviously didn't like it and uh, yeah he's really impressed by the labyrinth special effects impressive he says Jim Henson working at the top of his form he says and reminded him of Alice in Wonderland like Michelle said mm -hmm. anything can happen nothing is as it seems rules keep changing I like the dog I forgot to mention oh yeah the dog you was never really see cute. like old English sheep dogs like that anymore Oh, really? I haven't seen one for years. Weird, because you're in England. Mm. Well, we but use border collies like... as sheepdogs now. They should be guarding the board. Or if right? you're Jeremy Clarkson, you use a drone that barks and therefore scare your sheep into the next field, <laughs> literally oh. terrifying them because he bought a farm if you didn't know that. No, I didn't know. There's that. a show on Amazon Prime all about it. So <laughs> well, it got cancelled and now he has a show about his the farm yeah. he bought. So you can't really get cancelled. That's just like, this is not really he just, just moved on to a, a different farm. show. Uh, he's, okay, cool. He's well, like a pet who died. They, he went to a, a farm <laughs> to live out his days <laughs> with a Christ. drone. With a drone? Well, uh, <laughs> it, it's just one one more thing. Roger Ebert says this movie is too long, which I agree. This It's barely 90 minutes. What? It's, it's too it, long. Wait, it is. It feels too long, though. It does feel very long. It's because of the num musical numbers. Yeah, yeah it's because, it's just, because of the music. It's just a girl walking through a... Yeah, and there's too many shots of... Uh, too many reaction shots of Jennifer Connelly not really knowing what she's reacting to. So, like, you're like, wow, I'm kind of just as confused as you. And well, that... that that's what that, Roger. That's why Roger. Thought. Darn. He. Uh, he. I, I was surprised that he wouldn't even like give him more like leeway because of the uh, puppetry and the artistry on on display. He liked but that. But I guess at this point, yeah, he liked that. But I, I guess it's not enough to. It is not for him to carry uh, his enjoyment mm -hmm, through the film. Mm -hmm. Well, moving on to my second favorite <laughs> segment. They're all my favorite segments. What have we watched this week? What have we watched this week? What if we do like a jingle, like a. 
You know, yeah, like, it's like like the barbershop, like the barbershop quartet. What have we watched this week? You have to do it. There we go. There we go. <laughs> you do. We have to do it together. <laughs> okay, I'll do what, and then you do the have, and then we'll, okay, alter it. What have we watched this week? <laughs> That's so bad. Yusuf, what have you watched this week? I've been watching, sadly, nothing of uh, of value. I, <laughs> I've just been watching those tasty BuzzFeed videos, worth it videos, about what food is worth it, if it's cheap or mid-price or expensive. And most of it is the middle choice. It's very cringy at times, <laughs> but that's all I've, uh, I've had time to watch because uh, of work and stuff. So that's it. That's all I've seen. Michelle, what have you watched this week? I watched the first season of The Handmaid's Tale. Oh, is it good? It's really good. I really like it. It's quite different mm. from the book, but it still works. How is it different from the book? I thought it, they followed the book for the first season at least. Just, I, that's what I heard, but I, I don't know. They do. It's just that like, it's because there's like, you know, a phones in it and laptops, but mm. the book's ah. written in the 80s or 90s, so they don't exist then. Oh, interesting. Wow. And like, it just develops some of the characters a lot more and gives them backstories that you don't find out about mm. at all in the book. And Margaret Atwood is in it, I'm pretty sure. Because you see, like, the ghost yeah. of her hair, like, the shadow of it. Um, and she, like, mm. slaps a girl in the face to, like, look forward. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was Margaret Atwood. But, yeah, that's all I watched. Nice. Nice. So, are you going to keep going? Uh, keep watching the rest of it? Yeah, mm. definitely. Arvin, have you watched anything this week? The only thing I watched isn't something I wouldn't feel like. I, I was watching this anime show and didn't not worth recommend. Well, it's too hard for me to recommend, even though I really like it. It doesn't really matter. But there's one joke in it that I feel like I need to... I need to that I felt like is really interesting because mm-hmm. most of the show is just people having conversations that, that mm-hmm. it's in- entertaining conversations you and need to at least name like, the show it's kind of, yeah it's called the Mono, it's called the Monogatari series and there's one point when one of the characters says like this boy and a girl and the girl says the guy's like oh she's trying to mock him it's like I can do your voice and then she says my voice actress is very talented mm-hmm. within the show it's like it's, not, it's, like, it's a fun fourth wall break at the moment you're like oh that's kind of cute until you realize that that line was already present in the original novel <laughs> that this was adapted from so that writer mm-hmm. was had the go- had the jo- had the foresight of thinking like this might just be successful enough that I can squeeze this joke in oh. and it will make sense by the time the readers read it and it paid off and I thought that was amazing. wow that's, that's it's so clever wow. yeah it's great it's really really great the show is awesome uh, but, but it's impossible almost impossible to recommend do- you doesn't that kind of uh, cheapen his own version no of because it? the entire because his, the entire story is kind of done and it kind of it's it's already fairly meta in terms of just how the characters like talk and it's very self-referential the conver- it's these stories loop back on themselves and it's all told in this relatively non-chronological order so it's already very very much about the structure of stories and yeah, but like the it, artificiality but of stories but his medium is as a mm-hmm. as a novelist or a or a uh, uh, it's a diff. It's because it's different mentalities in Japan. Uh-huh. They they write stuff like light novels, mm. and it's like they, they create a concept. It's a very nice story. Mm. Usually, if it's too high concept or too mm. low concept, it won't be adapted into television show. You can hope for an anime adaptation. Uh. That's the way the business is played then. But back then, even then, uh, when he first wrote it in the mid, I think very early two thousand, it wasn't that big of a trend. He just mm. was. A, he's just a very funny guy, and he mm. decided maybe I will sneak that joke in, and maybe it will pay off like five years down the line, and it did. When 
when they adapted the show. Anyways, that's basically all I watched this week. Okay. All right, moving on to our recommendations. Yusuf, you had the strongest opinions regarding this. What would oh. you... Instead of Labyrinth, what would you recommend our audience pursue instead? I would say The Man Who Fell to Earth is a pretty interesting mm-hmm. movie. That's all I, I kept thinking. I was like, man, I, w- I want to be watching The Man Who Fell to Earth. So yeah, that's my recommendation. Another David Bowie movie. But it's like, it's as insane, but it's it's like cool. It's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. What would you recommend, Michelle? The Fool. Ooh. I, I mean, I don't remember that well, but I remember liking it a lot. And it's kind of like fantasy-ish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So lo- lots of uh, symbolism and mm-hmm. motifs. It's not the psychological thriller examining the lives of two hunters starring uh, Jill- Gillian Anderson. No. <laughs> no, it's the one with the no. Le- it's the one with Lee Pace in it. Okay. Because um, I was like, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> this is the same director as Immortals. Uh, remember that back in the early two thousand, like late two thousands, that Greek adaptation of the Grecian gods. Yeah. This looks cool. It looks cool. I remember like this movie being this is a very, this is a very, very good recommendation yeah, but not yours. my darn now it put me in the place I can't think of anything that can like match it I was gonna say another David Bowie appearance which is uh, Merry Christmas Mr. Lawrence if, if you want to watch a, a David Bowie actually give a performance that is very very I would say very very good and quite heart-wrenching and the movie itself is already heart-wrenching it's already very depressing yeah if you want to see good more, better David Bowie watch Merry Christmas Mr. Lawrence I didn't know about Merry Christmas Mr. Lawrence this is something I would watch I would I'll mm-hmm. check out definitely very cool both cool recommendations but I, I think puppetry was used there's no one better right isn't Jim Henson yeah. down over there like this gold no not at least in America mm-hmm. ooh no Michelle wasn't there that, that Alice in Wonderland stop motion adaptation that we watched called Alice there's this I think that was Croatian that? Mm-hmm. Croatian yes there's something like that alright anyways mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> so what will what we be watching next week or? for next week we've decided a theme of movies focused around women and to start out with I want to bring up a little I think it's, this is a cult classic I'm not sure if you guys have heard of it before. It's called Muriel's Wedding. It stars a young Toni Collette. I believe this will be her breakout performance. Yeah, I've heard lots of great things about this movie for years and years and years, and I've thought that maybe finally time to give it a go. I think you guys might like it. I because I mean, it's, right. have a very safe week, everybody. Bye. Yeah. I was talking to our audience. You should be wishing our audience. <laughs> Alright. Bye. Bye. Stay safe. The Seven Frio is hosted by Arvind Wong, Michelle Hassel, and Yusuf El Bashir. Logo by Joe Conti. Our ad break music is composed by Yusuf Sui Lim, and our outro music is composed by Yahya El Bashir. Thanks for listening. <laughs>